been about a month since we've been in Hebrews. That's pathetic. Um, but uh, this section of Scripture, as we'll see, has very, very many uh, interpretations given to it by great scholars throughout history. Uh, but the best thing to do always is let the Bible do interpreting of the Bible. It's always the best. So I'll read verse 1. Are you guys ready to read verse 2? Are you guys, you're extra quiet tonight. There's something quiet here tonight. Are you, are you all visitors tonight? Is that what it is? Um, are you, okay, that's what it is. You ready? Okay. So you guys pick it up in verse two. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits, for it is imp. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> so excited about that verse. <laughs> and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And all God's people said, amen. amen, you may be seated. So it's one of the most hotly contended sections of scripture, what you just read a moment ago. There are those throughout the centuries that have argued that if you take it at face value, then it must mean that the Christian can lose their salvation. Then the pendulum swings all the way over to the other side and the statement is made by equally great scholars that it's the book written to the Hebrews who had become followers of Christ. And for them to proclaim Christ and to claim that they know Christ, but to see that Christ is not sufficient, that they would go back to the Old, Old Testament economy of the sacrifice of animals and going through all of the rituals that if you do that, then what you've done is that you've actually displayed the fact that you were probably never really born again, but you believed, but you never advanced. You never went on. Now, what's interesting, what, seriously, there's about 11 interpretations in between those two pendulum swings by great scholars, which tells you what? Which tells you that God didn't give us the Bible to confuse us. He gave us the Bible to give us assurance and insight. If we depart from any denominational influence that could affect our approach to the Bible, look, let's be honest. We have to say this. Wherever you've come from, you have uh, glasses when you read the Bible uh, that are shaded, tinted, even jaded, by the denomination that we're in association with. Now, this is a non-denominational church. What does that mean? It means that we, as a church, operate non-denominationally. But because that is a fact, and we have no membership, we have no rules of uh, association. In other words, if you're a Mormon here tonight, you need to meet the real Jesus, but we're glad you're here. If you're a Catholic tonight, you should be here tonight because this is the book of Hebrews and it's all about Jesus being your great high priest, not the Pope or any priest on earth. And, um, and on and on it goes. The point is this, that when we approach the word of God, we could have, uh, in a setting like this, a preconditioned approach to the Bible. And we've got to fight that as a people. So how do we do that? Let the Bible talk to you Bible to Bible to your heart. It makes sense? And so listen, there are some things that are just going to always be in the Bible hard to understand. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
I don't understand how he did that. Well, you say, wait a minute, he spoke it into existence. I know that part. It says that he did that. But how did it all come together? How was that? I don't know. I take that by faith. Do you understand that? Sure. And we have to do that at times. Sometimes the Bible is so simply clear that it's like, doesn't everybody get this? Then there's times where we leave it in the hands of God. I don't understand how suffering makes us more like Jesus. I know that Jesus suffered, and I know that we suffer, but how does it make me more like him? I could point out a few things, but the deep things of God are a mystery, and yet we know that they happened. And so we're looking at now this fourth and final installment of what we've titled in this mini-series, Who Are Those Who Can Never Be Saved? Now that's a provocative title, and it's provocative for a reason. But the very point in which we are looking at this, we've been marching through this, and uh, you're going to see, I trust tonight, uh, somewhat of an answer. My, my answer, my interpretation and understanding may not suit you. I'm not even sure if it suits me. But uh, we'll look at it together. But just make sure you do this. Always judge the Bible with the Bible, okay? Don't let me or somebody else tell you, well, this is what, I know it doesn't make sense, but this is what it has to mean, or I know people, don't do that. <laughs> so as we get into this, I want to remind you of some very key things. Please write these down. Very, very important. They're foundational to what the challenge is tonight. 1 John 5, 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. Y'all see that? Just look at the first statement. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This is in the Bible. Is that a statement of fact? Roy, you're right. You're the only one right in the whole room. You guys, the whole answer, or the answer should have been from the whole of us, is, is yes, it is. God gives eternal life, okay? And this life is in his son. Tracking that? Okay? He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Pretty simple. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Before we leave this verse, everybody look to the screen. Notice the assurance that's here. Powerful, direct, without any doubt. It really, really dovetails into our study tonight and in your life personally as a believer. So let me just dissect this really quick. This is the testimony. It's the testimony of God. What is it? That he gave us eternal life. You didn't buy it. None of you earned it. None of you were good enough. We went through that on Resurrection Sunday enough. It's all of him. And if you have the son, what does that mean? If you have the son of God, you know something. Listen. If you have the son of God, you know that you have eternal life. If you have the son of God, you have a testimony. If you have the Son of God, you know this, that you have eternal life that is known to you. You know it. These things have been written that you may hope. No. That you may guess. No. That you may know that you have eternal life. Powerful statement. Great truth. Write it down. Know this. In the day of doubt and fear, this is where, you're, this is where you want to go. Right here. But listen, there's a little hook, and it's a beautiful hook. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a reality. That you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may, what's the next word? Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Continue meaning to press on. So, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jack. Does my continuing determine my eternal life? No, because you have eternal life. You are going to apply yourself to knowing God. Make sense? You don't get any credit for continuing. You and I are just being admonished and exhorted to continue because he's given us eternal life. That is our human responsibility to his God-given gift. Very, very important. Next verse is very familiar to all of you. John chapter 10, verse 28. 
and I give them, Jesus said, eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That is awesome. You should not be insecure regarding your salvation. How can we know? Well, church, very quickly, because it's been a while, this is what we studied thus far. Those who can never be saved are those, listen, we see in verse four, those who put themselves in an impossible situation. And we studied that, but just quick, Hebrews speaking to those who were of the Jewish faith, who came to know Yeshua as Messiah. Jesus as Messiah, and they broke away from the old covenantal practices, which God himself said in the Old Testament, I'm going to do away with the Old Testament covenant, and I'm going to bring you a new covenant. And he said that in the book of Jeremiah, and he alluded to it uh, often in the book of Ezekiel as well. Verse 5, we learned this. Who are those who can never be saved? Are those who simply, they simply refuse to sample or to know, I should say personally, the Holy Spirit. They traffic around the things of God. They, uh, they, they've experienced the movement of, of the things of God by the person of the Holy Spirit. But we saw in verse 5 uh, that they were exposed to everything that you and I were, have been exposed to. And uh, even that, though, doesn't make you a believer. But they were exposed to it. They saw God move. And then thirdly, this is where we left off church. This is where we pick up. It's those who ultimately come to the end of their lives. They live out their life according to what God has numbered for them. Remember, church, every one of us have, God knows the day that you and I are going to die. Now, that's something, that's something you've got to take by faith. What about the senseless, horrific mass, uh, mass murdering in Kentucky? What about that? God knew that was going to happen. And he knew that those who were going to die were going to die on that day. Yeah, but what if one of those who died there didn't go to school that day? What if they slept in? Then they wouldn't have woken up. Or they would have gotten out of bed and slipped on their toothpaste. And Listen, your day's numbered. You can't change it. The Bible says God has numbered our days. That's why when people, you've seen people in a horrific accidents and stuff and they either walk away or they survive and you go how'd that happen i don't know how it happened but i know this it wasn't their day <laughs> you know you got here tonight because it wasn't your day at least at least so far it hasn't been your day <laughs> or mine but it's coming to the end of life holding a position where you don't know if jesus christ is lord and savior or not and that's a very serious thing. Verse six, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And it's all clustered around that word in verse four. Look back at verse four for a second. For it is impossible. Stop right there. Question to all of you scholars here tonight. The word appears in the Bible. In every language, it's the same meaning. For us in English, it's the word impossible. For somebody, right? Follow with me. For somebody here in chapter 6, something's impossible. Do you, would you agree? You got to ask that question. What's being introduced to us is that something here is impossible. Next question is, what is it? Well, the Bible tells us it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Well, we know this. We know what it doesn't mean. We know that it doesn't apply to backslidden Christians. We know that. Because a backslidden Christian can repent and come back home. Boy, we saw a lot of that. Well, actually, I was happily surprised with last Sunday. There was a lot of people that came forward throughout all the four services, but um, this was more first-time decisions than it was rededication by far. And that goes to show you, by the way, the times in which we live in, right? That people are saying, they're waking up, I need Jesus. 
So just take a deep breath and relax that if tonight you're watching or you're here right now and you're a backslidden Christian, you're not walking with God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you. He's calling you back home like the prodigal son or daughter. Why is he doing that? Well, first of all, he's not bound by this verse because this verse applies to a different group of people. But he's drawing you back because you are in the family. It is possible for you to repent and go back to your first works. Thank God. Everybody say thank God just because we should. Oh my goodness. You know, on the outside today, you may have looked completely stellar all day long. You just looked so Christian all day long, but, but that, person, that person said that thing to you on the phone, or that guy put on his brakes in front of you while you were texting, and that wasn't fair, and it scared you, and, and uh, nobody knew, nobody knew, but God, that was not a Christian thought you just had there. In a second, as it were, in a second, for a millisecond, it could be argued that you backslid for like nine seconds. Now, technically, backsliding is more than nine seconds, but I think you get the drift, is that you can repent of that immediately. If you've fallen away from Christ and it's been a year or two or three or ten, and you're waking up, I got to get back to God, I gotta get, the world's imploding, I got to run home. Run, Forrest, run. Get, get back to God now. No, no more goofing around. Get back home. But mark this down if you would. It's those who ultimately come to the end of life, and we learn this. They are those who reject the hope of eternal life. Don't do that, friends. It says if they fall away. Now, technically, in the Greek language, uh, the if is not, is not there. Uh, so they fall away. The word is apostasy. They fall away. Is it speaking about... Uh, apostasy, watch this, this is, this is important, that for them to fall away uh, means that they apostasy out of those who are believers and they go back to a world of unbelievers. But here's what's worse. This is terrifying to say. Eternity will prove that there are people who heard a sermon, they went to a Bible study, and they might have even done that for some years, but it never got under their skin. Are you with me? It never became part of their DNA. And they die without Christ. Their end is worse than if they had ever come to church. Isn't that terrifying? Makes me sick as a Christian to invite somebody to come to church and they never give their heart to Christ. You say, Jack, but, but are, are we responsible for their demise because we kept witnessing to them and we got them a Bible and we had them uh, watch online or whatever? Not at all. You were reaching them the way God told you to reach them. It just means to whom much is given, much is required, but it also means this, that if light is being shown upon you by the Holy Spirit and you reject that opportunity that he's revealing to you, you're, put, you're putting yourself in a very, very dangerous situation and you are actually rejecting the hope that God is extending to you. It'd be like somebody lost at sea and, you know, a helicopter comes by to throw them the life raft and they, re, they say, I don't like that color. <laughs> or they, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Nobody would do that. But listen, people do that with their soul. And as a church, every church, by the way, goes through what I'm about to say. People will visit a church, any church, every church. And um, they'll tell their friend or their family member, or they might email us and say something like, I was okay with everything until somebody started playing the drums. And I'll never be back to your church again. And it's like, that's really good for us. No, you want to know why? Because that kind of an attitude, if someone hiccups within 10 feet of that person, they've got a problem. They're going to call 911. You know what I'm saying? That kind of religiosity knows nothing about kingdom life. Kingdom life is you and I living together. 
And, uh, and that's warts and all, by the way, right? We just got to get along. We're in the family of God. And God's called us to love each other. But to fall away is to take a path of apostasy where you depart from the faith. And in earlier studies in the book of Hebrews, the warning has gone out. Don't depart from the faith. And friends, this is, I'm done. Listen, it almost, I almost feel like I'm beating a drum, but this is a critical, never before seen time in, in our American history anyway. Certainly, possibly in world history. We've never been this late in the clock before, right? It's never been the 21st century before. Where we see people departing from the faith for any or all or no reason at all. They just give up. What's happening? If you don't know the Bible, you're going to be shocked because here's what's happening, apostasy. The Bible says in the last days, people will just stop following Christ. They'll stop believing. But do they lose their salvation? I believe they do not because they never had it. They weren't saved in the first place. They looked just like us. But didn't 1 John tell us they were with us, but they were not of us? Wow. They rejected the hope of eternal life. Very important. This is going to sound strange, but it's, uh, it's not strange, so write it down. And it's on, hear this out. Theology is... The, the science of the study of the Word of God, or the study of God, theology. When you study the Word of God, you want to make sure that you live out, listen, here's, here's the part that sounds funny. You live out your own theology. Let me explain. You don't make it up. This book, don't add to it and don't take away from it. Okay? You don't, add, you don't mess with this. But when we talk about your own theology meaning, if you want to be stuck in a religious liturgical, the word is habitual. If you want to live in a habitual religious life with God, then do your prayers at a set time, give your 10%, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. You know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff. And you punch your card, you get your little sticker, and you go on your way. Listen. That is not, that is not the theology that the Bible invites us to know. Watch this. When I say your own theology, it means that this book has gotten inside of your life and it's taken control. And so when you live your life, you are living your life because the theology of God is active in your life. And so by that, I mean you know and you live your own theology. This is very key. We don't talk like this anymore. The Puritans used to talk like this. But for example, I think it's A.W. Tozer would say, I preach my own theology. J. Edwin Orr says, I preach my own theology. And you should. Meaning this, what did God show you from his word? He showed me this. I'll prove it. Have you guys ever noticed that somebody might... Uh, a pastor might come up here, so to speak, or you might turn on the radio and you'll hear... Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley or somebody else, and they're teaching on the same book of the Bible in the same chapter, and they teach something completely different but equally perfectly awesome, and you wonder how that happened. Because God the Holy Spirit was using the Word of God to speak His theology through them, and you know why? They delivered it with power and passion because it was His Word going through them. It's their theology. Does, it, does that make sense? They didn't make it up. They're possessed by His theology, who He is, the person of Christ. If you don't have that hope, you could easily slip into apostasy. You can reject the hope of God. Summed up this way, does my lifestyle display or align with what the Bible teaches regarding his lordship in my life? This is what a Christian is to live for. Every single one of us in this room is to live that type of theology, whereby my lifestyle on display 
is in alignment with what the Bible teaches regarding the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's, that's the person that's going to be going to heaven. It doesn't mean they're perfect. They would, they would be if they could be. We want to be. You don't have to beat us up. We beat ourselves up. Because we want to get closer to him every day. But my life, your life, on display, announces if Jesus is the Lord of my life. And how I live my life displays the theology that owns me, and it displays, are you hearing me? It displays the theology that controls me. If I got wokey, weird theology, I'm serious. You're going to be messed up. You guys, you see the things, listen, this is tragic. Charles Stanley, in my opinion, is one of the great Bible teachers of the 20th century and 21st century. How his son could fall so far is now, and here's what's crazy. Since he's gone off the rails, I believe that he's entered into the realm of apostate. And his church is growing. How does that happen? Don't worry. It needs to happen. Because like Dr. Walter Martin used to say, if those people weren't in his church, they'd be in your church. <laughs> That's got to settle in for a little bit. If people want to hear and live out a lie, but they don't have a place to go do it, then they're going to come to a good church and mess it all up. But it breaks my heart. That's a tragic thing. And I hope he comes around. I hope he repents and comes back to the word of God. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 1, and I'll read this out of the New Living Translation because it's just so clear. Hebrews 4, 1 says, God, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fa uh, fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Notice the address is us and them, us and them, us and them. But it did them no good because they did not share in the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. That's a powerful statement, church. Very, very important. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says, And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, thank God, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. That's a pretty good deal, my friends. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. You say the word continue. That makes me a little bit nervous, the word continue. No, 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 Christian, listen. Do you want more of Jesus? Yes, I do. Watch this. Then you're going to continue. Because if you want more of Jesus, here's what you're going to do. You're going to place yourself in those locations where Jesus is. Does it make sense? I remember the first time Chuck Smith ever taught at this church in the old warehouse. Pastor Chuck, as, as was his way, he walked up to the podium. He taught the entire book of 1 John by verse, by verse, quoting it and never opened his Bible once. But the title of his message was Keeping Yourself in the Love of God. And he simply summed it up by saying, stay under the spout where the glory comes out. The Christian's going to pursue God. Say, wait a minute, I thought I, I thought I had God. You do have God. I thought I accepted Christ. You did. You accepted Christ on the day you accepted Christ. But from that moment on, guess what? You got your hiking shoes on. You didn't know that, did you? You got, a, you got a walking staff. You got a backpack. Why? Because Jesus said, let's go. And you left off. Man, you got saved. You didn't go back next week and get saved. And then the week after that, get saved again. You keep going back and getting saved. That's not how it happens. You get saved once. And then you move on. The Christian moves on. He continues on with Jesus. He goes and grows. It's amazing. 
Now listen to this. Because we are encouraged. This continuing means that we apply self-application, the Bible. This is a, this is a heavy thing because... You know, listen, there's professional pastors who have been trained in seminaries on how to craft sermons. They're perfect. If you look at those sermons, they're perfect, and they meet all the, the criteria and standard for a seminary professor to say that's an A+. Give that guy an A. Look at the structure of that. The syntax, the, the, it's perfect. And did you know that pastor that wrote that sermon who got an A-plus from the professor could walk up to a pulpit and preach it and not only kill the people, he'll kill himself. Because there's, listen, because he never failed to apply it to his own life. Are you hearing me? I don't know about you, I think I do. Aren't we done with that stuff? It's too late in history to play church. Let's be blunt. If this stuff's real, then let's do it. If it's not, let's get out of here. I mean, come on. So we self-application, we, we see if that's true in our lives. You know, we could read the one-year Bible and five minutes after we read it, not know what we just read. The... In a moment, we're going to read this verse in 2 Corinthians 13, but it screams self-examination. You see, they departed away from the hope of God by rejecting it because they never looked at it by applying it to their own lives in a real personal way, and they never self-examined their own faith. They just made assumptions. And it turns out that they were almost a Christian. And that leads to self-appraisal. Nobody lived this better than Paul the Apostle. It was a beautiful life he lived. I, I, I want to live my life like him. And one of the things that he did was this. Paul said, I'm, I, so, I so do not know me, but I know him, that I've learned not even to judge myself because I'm, I'm messed up. So I commit all judgment to him And this is the part that's awesome. Because I get that, right? Think about it. Our hearts, either we're too hard on ourselves or we're too lenient. Right? So Paul said, "I just forget that. I'm going to let him judge me. And then when he said that, he also announced, and by the way, it doesn't matter what anybody says about me either. Paul said, people can judge me all day long. It doesn't really matter because their words are useless and worthless because... um, I I can't even figure myself out. How can they who criticize me figure me out when I can't figure me out? Only God can figure me out, so how can they know anything? Does it make sense? It's so liberating. The Bible says the heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Lord, you are the only one who know it. You know it. God help us. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Isn't that an awesome statement of fact? Do you know? You're supposed to say, yes, I do. (laughs) On the count of three. Only if you do. On the count of three. Say, say, yes, I do. One, two, three. Yes, I do. Amen. (laughs) That's beautiful. Listen to this, though. He goes on. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. What a statement. In other words, he's saying, hey, we're all shouting here saying, indeed I do, or yes I do, or me and you, and all this, and we are Christians. Here, you know, give me a J, give me an E. Uh, And... But, here's the thing, down deep inside, we better make sure that we're, that we're in this, you know, all these believers. But what about me? Examine ourselves. By the way, real quick, 
Examine. The word means to make proof of, to confirm, to have tested the validity of. Isn't that beautiful? To make bulletproof or fail safe. Wow. Everybody, listen. The Bible says the Christian can know that their faith is so strong that, it, that it's bulletproof. I mean, you might get shot dead, but your faith takes you to heaven. The bullet can only go into your skin. The bullet cannot take out your faith. In fact, you think about that for a moment. What a glorious freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. I mentioned Dr. J. Edwin Orr earlier when he was going in for heart surgery. It was quite serious. And they rushed him to the hospital and in his genius, if you've ever listened to him, you can maybe check him out on YouTube. I think he died 100 years ago or something like that or 50 years ago, whatever it was. But at the time, he was the greatest living uh, church historian on revivals. And just before they put him out to, do their, to perform the heart surgery, he asked the surgeon, he said, doctor, I have to ask you a question. Doctor said, ask. And he said, will I be able to play the piano when you're done doing whatever you're doing? And he said, Dr. Orr, I assure you that when you recover, I'm going to do the best job ever. But when you recover and you get back on your feet, you'll be able to play the piano just fine. And he said, I cannot tell you how much of a relief that is because I've never been able to play the piano before. <laughs> For the Christian, we come out better in the end. <laughs> Way better. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, test yourselves. That word test is to make approved. To make approved of by analysis. To put to the test. We get the statement, it's tried and true from that. It's beautiful. Here's some more verses for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. This is beautiful. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. So you got born again, and now you're being discipled in the word of God. You got saved, and you moved on. By which also you are saved. Watch. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying make sure you're saved. And one of the indicators is the Holy Spirit of God is going to make sure he pushes you along and in cooperation you're going to continue on. You're not fighting the Spirit of God. When God says to this, listen, I'm making it up. Nobody told me you were going to be here. I'm just saying this. If you're struggling over immorality, sexual immorality, or pornography, or if it's drugs, or whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, but you want God, but you struggle with this, it's God the Holy Spirit that is going to say to you, now this is what you're going to do, or this is what you're not going to do, and your first response is, that's impossible, I've never been able to break that, and he'll say, that's why you are you, and I'm God. I'm going to do this, so continue with me. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes. Cooperate. Another comforting verse. Any of you writing these down? Yes. I hope so. Here's some comfort right here. I'm going to put two verses together right now. Jude 1, verse 24 starts there. Now unto him. See this? Ah, I see. Now unto him that is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Wow. To the only wise God, our Savior. Now, Titus 2.13. 2, uh, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we might redeem, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Is that not perfect? You guys, that is absolutely perfect. You want to do this for God. You want to live the Christian life. Right on. Go do it. 
And don't insert any but. But. Forget that. The only but that works is but God. Okay? And look what he does. He redeems. He's the one that causes this to happen. He's the one that makes us able. He's the one that will never fail us. It's all him. Every day you need to get up and say, seriously, what are you going to do? Let's do this. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I want to believe. I hope so anyhow. I think, it's, I, think it, I think so sometimes. That when I get out of bed, I say, Lord, first of all, before my feet, you know the deal. Before I, I, I told you before, I don't put my feet on the earth. Because, you know, when you're in bed, your feet are not on the earth. <laughs> so before my feet hit the earth, I always say, Lord, fill me right now with your Holy Spirit for today. Then when my feet hit the earth, right? I do exactly what you do. And then after that, I go straight for a cup of coffee, right? When I can pray reasonably. (laughs) And I want my life for any given day that God so chooses to really, really be a problem to the kingdom of hell. I want you to think that through for a moment. Jesus died for me. Heaven is settled. It's what are we doing in the meantime? Now, it is true that Jesus and the doctrine of imminency, he could come back tonight for the church, and I'm ready. I pray you're ready. But in the same token, if I somehow knew something, that if high command were to say, it's not going to be, but for a few more months, years, or whatever, it's like, all right, that's fine with me too. Because we get to wage some war. So what do you mean by that? Do the right thing. Say the right thing. See, the reason why today you might be in trouble is if you say the right thing, you're going to be in trouble today, like never before. Notice, if you and I have been hanging out in this church for the last 30 years, nothing here has changed. It's the world around us that's changed. Nothing's changed here. The word's the same. But uh, we've gotten in more trouble. What are we doing different? Nothing. Are you, are you tracking this? It's the world that has gotten darker. It's the world that has gone apostate. It's left him. It's like, no, no, I'm not in the mood to get into a political debate right now, but um, look at all the Democrats that are leaving the Democrat Party right now. They're bailing out. And they're saying... The Democrats are saying, I'm leaving because this is not the Democrat party anymore. They're gone. They're gone crazy. Well, they would say, the party that I was once affiliated with, it's apostate. You see, it went somewhere. Loose. Well, that happens in church and in Christianity all the time. And without air quotes, Christianity all the time. The next thing we see is in verse 6 that there are those who return to themselves for themselves. It says that they re, uh, to renew them, again, to repentance. The, this word renew is that to renew as in an attempt to make what is new, new again. So they were supposed to be new. They were supposed to be born again. They were supposed to be made alive. But they wander back to the old system. So you might be here today and you might say, you know what, it's okay, it's okay. It's okay being here, but I'd rather go back and, and where there's stained glass. I like stained glass. But there are people who, I'm not making this up. I like more the liturgical side of things. It'd be better if you wore a robe, if there were candles, and if there were lights and glass different. There are people who love that. And I'm not knocking it. If Christ is in it, awesome. But if he's not in it, then look, you could be here in this place where the Bible's taught constantly, and you can be just as off as they. Are you hearing me? It's not in the external things. Can't we put icons in those alcoves? Can't we put icons right there? Look, can we put like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like in written in Latin? Why? Sure we could. But why? It'd make me feel better. Do you see? 
Watch out for this. Watch out for this. Don't gravitate back to where you've come from because it makes you feel different. It makes you feel like things are predictable. Look, in some ways, our God is extremely predictable when it comes to his faithfulness. And in some ways, our God is completely unpredictable, which comes to our daily walk with him in obedience. We have to be careful about that. The Bible warns us in Hebrews 10, we're almost done, you guys. Hebrews 10, verse 1, for the law being a shadow of good things to come. Look, the law, the Bible says, was a shadow. It wasn't the substance. Of the good things to come is not the very image of those things which can never with their sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make these who approach complete or acceptable. The, the point is, do you know Jesus personally? You can be all dressed up, so to speak, and no place to go. Colossians 2.16 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Okay, everybody see this verse? Are you guys awake? Yes. So let nobody judge you in food and drink or uh, in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now watch this. Somebody might read verse 16 and say, which they do, by the way. Cool. I can go to a church that drinks beer. Drinks beer and... Uh, does whatever they do, they claim, you can't judge me. Well, that's kind of weird because Paul the Apostle said in the book of Romans, if, if he, because Paul would eat any kind of meat that was set in front of him. But Paul said, if I know somebody's at the table who would be offended about me eating meat, he said, I'm not going to eat meat because I don't want to offend him. Why would Paul do that? Because he loves them more than his belly. But today, many apostates, or at least backslidden Christians, are saying, man, I go to a church, and we, ju we have Bible and brew. <laughs> you know why you go there? Because you love your belly more than you love your brother. Because if you love somebody, you're not going to do anything that's going to stumble them. And this verse is powerful for that. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want to do. It means this, if I love Jesus, I'm going to want to do what he tells me to do. Yeah. And you've got to admit, if you're going to fulfill verses 16 and 17, you've got to be in touch with God. Yeah. You've got to be listening. I have to wrap this, I promised you, this is the fourth and final thing, and I'm not, I have, we're going to end it tonight. <laughs> no, no, we're ending it tonight. Let me look at this. I'm skipping that. Okay, how about this? The next thing, there are those who seek, listen, there are those who seek another way of salvation. Those who can never be saved or those who have decided to seek some other form of salvation. Watch out for another gospel. There is no other gospel. The verse six goes on to say, since they crucify, crucify again for themselves the son of God and put him to open shame. So what does that mean? It means they do this. They're going through the liturgical practices of Judaism. They have an animal sacrifice. They heard somebody preach the gospel. They say, what? Oh man, that's amazing. They come over, they hang, they, they hang out in the realm of Christianity for only God knows how long. But over the course of time, they wind up giving up on that, and they go back to this animal sacrifice. They settle back in where, they, where their uh, roots were originally, and uh, what happens? They have no other place to go for salvation now. It's as though they're crucifying him a second time. That's, a, that's, that, that's apostate in context of what we're looking at. So the number one thing that should concern all of us here tonight is to make sure that you and I do not commit the unpardonable sin. That's what it all comes down to. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him, Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. 
so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Isn't that awesome? God bless them. They knew their Bibles. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what Isaiah had said. That that's exactly what the Messiah would do in chapter 35 of Isaiah. Now when the Pharisees, here they come, heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I, Jesus says, cast out demons by Beelzebub, in other words, they were accusing Jesus of working for Satan. By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He who is not with me is against me. Call that a vote, up or down vote. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Verse 31, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, listen, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age, world, or in the world to come. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Can you commit a sin that God will not forgive? Answer, yes. Only one. What is it? It is to deny the witness or testimony of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you need Jesus Christ. That's committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the application of Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 6. Are you hearing me? To commit the sin that God cannot forgive is to say that you have heard the Holy Spirit say, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, and you shove him off until the point where your day comes and your life's over, and you die in that condition. You've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You're not forgiven in this world or in the world to come. Almost done. John 8, 24. Therefore, Jesus said, I... Uh, said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You hear that? Don't die without being born again. So I'm going to ask you, friends, to close your eyes. I, want, I really want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear this. I even wrote it seriously in my notes. It's best you close your eyes right now so you can better hear this. And as you hear this, judge yourself. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the apostasy falling away comes first. Then the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that the Antichrist may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, that is the Holy Spirit, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Listen, everybody, please. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan 
with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. Notice, Satan is successful among those who are perishing. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned. Why? Who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Father, we pray tonight that while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the terror of this passage would grip, well, all of our hearts for that matter. But for the man or woman, boy or girl, right now tonight, the thought of this, that there's a day coming when the church is lifted up off the earth and in an instant time you will send that person who had a chance to accept but did not receive the love of the truth and will be condemned forever because you will send them as it were to the confines of their own mind deceived by unbelief Friend, tonight, right where you're at, you can say to God right now, God, I do not want to be that person. You can tell God tonight, right now, in your own words, in your own heart, in your own life, you can say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I don't ever want to walk even sideways with you, God. I just want to walk right behind you in lockstep. Jesus, don't let me wander. Don't let my kids wander, my grandkids wander, my husband, my wife, my friends Oh God, please, but my own life, Lord, may I not wander from your presence. Lord, put it within me to be in hot pursuit of God, of you, Lord. And friends tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed, listen to this. Some of you may be beating yourselves up because you think you've committed the unpardonable sin. I'm happy to report you have not. Number one, if you care... That means you haven't committed it. Number two, you're not dead. Taking care of the one thing takes care of the both things. Tell God in your own words tonight that you believe he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead, that you want him to live his life through you. Thank him for doing that and determine today, tonight, to walk with him, starting right now. Father, I pray that, Father, not only have we been jealous for the work that you've done here, we've often cried out, God, do a work in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would start that work right here on Wednesday night. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us in power and that the fruit of the Spirit would come forth from our life. And, Lord, you're so precious. Religion would say tonight, to the man, to the woman, living in fornication or adultery or drunkenness or whatever, you know, stand up, tell us what your thing is, and then we would beat them up with the Bible. That's religion. But those sins are real, and they plague the human heart. And friend, if that's any of you tonight, know this. Ask Jesus to rescue you from yourself. Even tonight, he's so good that even if there's something you don't want to give up, 
but you know you should, but you don't want to. Will you ask him right now, dear God in heaven, will you put it inside of me to not want that sin in my life anymore? Dear God in heaven, will you cause it to be bitter to my taste? And Lord, between now and Sunday, may you use us to tell someone, just, the, just this Wednesday night group, if each of us told someone about you, that's a lot of people. You're worthy, Lord, to be talked about, spoken of, shared. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.